Good Tuesday. This is Ozarks at Large for September 6th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. In just a bit on our show, the Women of Oz, a nonprofit biking club encouraging more women to get on mountain bikes and take advantage of the region's trails. Later this month, the organization will host a summit dedicated to riders of all skill levels. First, a new program from the Women's Foundation of Arkansas, helping women in the state prepare for retirement and make responsible financial choices. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spoke with project coordinator Megan Godfrey about the program last week. So, Megan, can you walk me through just what the Save 10 program is and why the Women's Foundation is pushing this initiative? Save 10 empowers women to save 10% of their income for life and retirement. We know that that can be difficult. It can be difficult um, for women especially to save money, to invest in themselves and their financial future. So Save 10 encourages and equips women to save 10% and set themselves up for financial success. We have a growing community of women who have taken the Save 10 commitment, and we're encouraging others to join us. Yeah, and I know that this program has focused a lot on educators and teachers in Arkansas. You know, why focus on, on that group specifically? That's right. So we have kind of a, a sub-initiative under Save 10 called Save 10 for Arkansas Educators. And thanks to a grant from the Department of Education, we've been able to get the Save 10 message of saving for life, saving for retirement, and specifically reducing debt um, through a program called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program um, to as many educators as possible all throughout the state. Um, one of the things that we've done recently is host a Save 10 Back to School Tour, where we visited with almost 4,000 educators in districts all across Arkansas. And we were able to present to them not only the importance of saving for life and retirement, but specifically an opportunity for student loan forgiveness through the PSLS program or Public Service Loan Forgiveness. If you're an educator in Arkansas, or if you work for the federal government or the state government or local government or any nonprofit, you can be eligible for loan forgiveness through PSLF. There are a couple of qualifying conditions, including you have to be in a direct loan, you have to be in an income-driven repayment program, and you have to make 120 payments while you're working in public service. But at the end of that, if you, you meet all of the requirements and you fill out all the necessary paperwork, you can qualify for full loan forgiveness after that 120 payment. One of the reasons we've had such a sense of urgency in communicating PSLF to educators this fall is that there's a limited waiver that expires October 31st where more payments and more individuals who have student loans who may not have qualified in the past now qualify. And so we wanted to really communicate the opportunity for educators to learn about loan forgiveness, to take action, and to get on track to have their loans forgiven. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, in that that back-to-school tour that you've been, that you guys have been on, what kind of questions or you know, feedback you hear from teachers who, who have student loan debt and are looking to get those loans forgiven. As we were visiting with educators across the state, we saw that among the, the teachers who had loans, among the educators who had student loans, the average was $84,000. So teachers are, are very significantly impacted by student loan debt. And another thing that was kind of a consistent pattern was that very few educators knew about PSLF or knew that they could take action or should be taking action, um, and that there was this this waiver to expand eligibility um, for additional loan types and, and additional payments that didn't traditionally count. And so that's why we were so excited to have the opportunity to visit because we saw, you know, we saw eyes get wide and we saw people ask questions to say, hey, is this me? Can I qualify? You know, am I in the right plan? Am I making the payments the right way? You know, we we met teachers who, if they took action, would receive, you know, $84,000 forgiven instantly, $116,000 forgiven instantly. You know, teachers were just two, three, four years away from full forgiveness of, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans. And it was really life-changing. And I think, you know, every stop we made just became more and more motivating to get the word out and to say, you know, this 
takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of time. You know, nothing is easy. There are a few hoops to jump through, but we have the information for you. We have this toolkit full of step-by-step resources and links that you can follow. And I promise put a little bit of time and effort into it and it will be worth it. Imagine what your life would be like without this student loan payment. And then you, in light of the Biden administration's plan for student debt forgiveness, does that change anything with the, this PSL forgiveness program? There's no conflict between uh, the newly announced loan forgiveness from the Biden administration and PSLF. And what we learned throughout our back to school tour is that teachers have much more than $10,000 worth of debt. And so even if $10,000 is forgiven under this new uh, loan forgiveness plan from the Biden administration, all public service employees are still eligible for PSLF for anything over the $10,000 that won't be forgiven. And then I wanted to sort of, you know, widen out a little bit and look, look at the Save 10 program, you know, why it's important to offer uh, resources like this for women specifically in Arkansas when it comes to financial planning and, and for retirement? One of the things that the Women's Foundation of Arkansas has looked at closely is not only the wage gap between men and women, but also the wealth gap between men and women. And we see really nationwide, but in Arkansas specifically, that it is more challenging for women to be able to save for life and for retirement. Women, you know, are more likely to leave the workforce um, for certain periods of time. They're less likely to be able to build wealth for retirement. And so we think that it's so important to provide opportunities um, to women all across the state in all different um, job sectors and all different professions um, that it is possible and important to save Um, for right now and for the future. What's been great about having the opportunity to visit with educators is that educators already have a retirement system. They have Arkansas teacher retirement. And so we want to just show teachers the importance of investing a little bit more into that retirement so that when they're ready to retire in the future, they can do it on their own terms. Yeah. And then just, you know, looking at Arkansas as a whole, I, I know a lot of people are are nervous right now about finances. There's rising inflation. Um, we're coming out, hopefully, knock on wood, out of a pandemic. Um, what are some things that need to happen in the state um, to help raise people up, help make them more financially secure? I think there are things that women can do personally with their own personal finances. I think we've all, you know, seen the need to tighten up our budgets, to make sacrifices, to really prioritize saving when we you know, have additional expenses that we may not have anticipated. But I also think, and, and the Women's Foundation certainly thinks, that there are things that we can do structurally and more wide scale, thinking about policies that empower women, looking at childcare opportunities, looking at investing in women entrepreneurs, looking at finding ways to keep women in the workforce and to encourage them to be earners so that they can be savers, not only for their own financial future, but really for the broader economy of the state. That was Megan Godfrey speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. You can find more about the Save Tent program at womensfoundationarkansas.org. Arkansans with student loan debt may see some of their debt forgiven. Last month, the president announced a $10,000 forgiveness plan for those making under $150,000 a year. On average, Arkansans owe about $33,000 per borrower. The current forgiveness plan proposed by the president has not been finalized, but it could cause about a third of loan debt to disappear. In a segment on Arkansas Week, Tony Williams of the Arkansas Student Loan Authority said he doesn't think the plan addresses the core issues with student loans and believes lowering interest rates would be a better approach. We'll be back to that $15, $16 billion level in just a few years. Uh, And so this isn't a... This doesn't really fix anything in the price of higher education or student loan borrowing in general. Uh, so it, it, we, we, this can be addressed in other ways. The Biden administration has worked in the past to forgive student loans acquired by students at for-profit colleges. About 15% of student loan borrowers never got a degree. Hi, I'm Matthew Moore. Here at KUAF, I do a lot of things. I report stories for Ozarks at Large on things like Instagram famous dogs, soil judging, and, you know, the Arkansas Legislature Special Session, to name a few. I also produce a couple podcasts, like Undisciplined and Natural Election. 
I get our stories on our website and in the podcast feeds. But there's one thing I can't do by myself, and that's pay for all of the news, entertainment, and music that our community relies on from KUAF. Well, that's where you come in. KUAF is supported in part by a whole host of sustaining members who make a regular contribution to this station that in part helps keep me reporting on dogs and elections and other stuff. So if you are a sustaining member already, thanks so much for what you do. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's easy. Just head over to supportkubaf.com today, and I'll keep the dog stories coming. Thank you for being with us today for this post Labor Day edition of Ozarks at Large. Thanks, too, to Timothy Dennis for producing yesterday's holiday version of our show with some of the music from last month's Fayetteville Roots Festival. Timothy will be with us Thursday to provide a map of live music for the next weekend. The Women of Oz, a nonprofit mountain biking club in northwest Arkansas, is devoted to breaking down barriers for women interested in the sport. That spirit is also part of the club's upcoming Sunset Summit, featuring world-class athletes and coaches, as well as clinics for bike maintenance, skills, and repairs. Last week, we talked with Allison De La Husse, the executive director of the Women of Oz. She says as the miles of trails increase in our region, so do the opportunities for women to get on a mountain bike. You know, I think anyone who's been in Bentonville, uh, Northwest Arkansas area, the last 10 years, five years, three years, has noticed there's been a lot of trails that have been made. And I think a lot of women were sort of on the sideline and feeling a bit intimidated. You know, how how are those trails being used? Are those trails for me? How would I begin to even know how to get on them? Um, and so myself, I was fortunate to find myself in the company of a few other women who were asking similar questions. And through that, we decided, hey, you know what we're going to do? The first Saturday of every month, we're going to show up and we're going to offer to take women on these trails. And we're going to show them how they can use these trails and feel empowered to use them. And then we're hoping that they're going to invite other women and then they're going to show them what we've taught them. And so it would sort of create this chain of women teaching, leading, investing in other women. And that was kind of the initial goal. But what I think we really didn't anticipate was that not only were women going to share mountain biking with each other, but then they were going to create these friendships and relationships. And we really built this community fabric that went way further than any expectation that we had. We were just trying to learn how to mountain bike, but a byproduct was we created a women's group. Yeah. That intimidation factor, I find that interesting because I think mountain biking is one of those activities or one of those um, sort of communities that if you're on the outside, you think, well, if I don't know how now, I'm never going to know how. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, you see people wearing full face helmets and, uh, you know, pads and all kinds of things that also just upset factor. Like, well, I don't look like that. So I don't think that's for me. But the truth is, it's for anybody who wants to learn. The trails are for everyone. It's called the the Sunset Summit. Why Sunset? I think, um, you know, if you look at our logo, we have license from the Oz Trails logo. It's such a beautiful, beautiful logo that it was really the muse for the Women of Oz logo. And out of that, we took the colors that represented the sunset, and that became the name for the event, just really through the pure branding. Mm. Um, we have an incredibly talented woman named Courtney Barrett. She's a founding member of this organization and the founder of Junk Headbands. And she actually came up with the vision for the name for the Sunset Summit. And we're quite fond of it. There are several um, keynote speakers, as you mentioned, from around the country. Give us kind of just an idea of who will be speaking and who will be able to hear. Thank you. Yes, we have some of the most interesting leaders in women's mountain biking coming to speak. I'll start with our keynote, just announced Brooke Gowdy. She is just instrumental in trailblazing for women in mountain biking. Uh, Specifically, she's an advocate to get women on bikes as a leader of Black Girls Do Bike Denver, she has worked with NICA. Uh, she's a member of the Trails Are Common Ground 
ambassador for IMBA, um, and her accreditations go on and on, and just an incredibly moving speaker if you've ever heard her speak, as well as a coach. So we are thrilled to announce her as a keynote, and we're going to hear her speak about how you can build community for yourself with the mountain bike. Um, so we're really excited. That's our keynote for Saturday. And then Friday evening, we have some incredible women coming up. Uh, Anina Nadu, she is out of Vancouver, and she's the first professional black, brown, pro female racer. Um, just a really incredibly neat lady. And she's going to talk about how she uses the mountain bike for conservation and also to work with DEAI inclusion. Um, and then we'll have Lindsay Richter, who is a founder of Ladies All Ride, huge name in women's mountain bike education. And she uh, talks about how she uses the bike as a tool to fight mental health. So it's going to be an incredible lineup. Lots of neat industry leaders there Friday evening. You won't want to miss it. You know, you, you were mentioning um, using mountain biking as advocacy and awareness about mental health. And Anita, they do, who has done a lot to expand diversity and inclusion, not just in the mountain biking world, but across platforms. It sounds like mountain bikes can be a vehicle to much more, and this is kind of what you were saying with how Women of Oz grew, but a vehicle to be more than just exercise. This is this has the potential to be something much bigger. Yeah, and I think that's what we found with Women of Oz. I mean, the intention was to just go and ride mountain bike trails. So, of course, you have all the added health benefits, right, of getting mom on a bike or getting sister on a bike, then the whole family's more likely to get out on the bike and everyone's got the endorphins pumped in, right? It's great. But what we found is that it did a lot for relationship development in our community. And I think that's the one thing that we're really seeing. And, you know, like you mentioned with Anita Nadu and Lindsay and Brooke, there's this theme, right? They're all using the book, the tool, the bike is a tool for something different, right? But they're driving outcome with it. So it's more than just ladies going for a bike ride. It's women connecting. What I love also about Anina Daydu is at least in one bio, I think she's written, she calls herself also an aspiring astronaut. I love that. I can't wait to see what she does next. So let's go back to kind of this idea behind Women of Oz, which was to bring people in that might have been intimidated or just a little bit frightened of mountain biking. Does that same sort of thing go for the summit itself? Perhaps you could just dip your toes or just start learning about biking by going to this. You don't have to be, you know, incredibly experienced. Absolutely. This event is for anyone, no matter where you are in your riding level. If you've never been on a mountain bike, this event is for you. If you've been riding for three or four years, you want to increase your skills. This is for you. If you're somebody who wants to work on drops and more technical things, you've been riding for 10 years, you just want a little more education, this is for you. I think, again, this is such a Women of Oz way of doing it. It really is about including everyone in the community and meeting you where you're at and creating that connection. So that's, this event is for everyone. What is a drop? I, I don't like the sound of that. It sounds like something I wouldn't <laughs> want to do. <laughs> you know, I promise you, Kyle, these can be really fun with a little bit of practice, but it is when you're going off something and there is going to be some time where you're in the air from when you leave the top of that thing till you get to the bottom of that thing. So it's not exactly a jump because you don't have to jump, but you do have to navigate getting from the top of a rock down to the bottom <laughs> and it might be some time in the air. <laughs> what do people have to do to be part of this? So if you're interested in joining us at the Sunset Summit, you just go to womenofozsunsetsummit.com, wazsunsetsummit.com, and you can purchase a ticket there. Um, and I think our tickets are going to be open until the, the 9th of September. So please don't wait. We're so excited to ride with you and share all of our knowledge and get to know you a little bit better. Allison De La Husse is the executive director of the Women of Oz. The Sunset Summit is Friday and Saturday, September 16th and 17th. Registration and more information at W Oz Sunset Summit. That's W O Z SunsetSummit.com. Download the KUAF app for iPhone to listen live to all your favorite programs on KUAF. 
24-hour classical music on KUAF2, and jazz and local music programs on KUAF3. And you can listen to full episodes of Ozarks at Large, set alarms to wake up to KUAF, and you can send your messages and feedback directly to the station in the new KUAF Connects feature. It's all available through the new KUAF app for iPhone, available now at the App Store. This is Ozarks at Large. Tonight, the Fayetteville City Council will decide whether to permanently waive fees for boating and fishing on Lake Sequoia Park. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Allison Jumper, Director of Fayetteville Park's Natural Resources and Cultural Affairs, empties an outdoor lockbox near a shuttered bait shop in the parking lot next to Lake Sequoia Marina this morning with no one on duty. The city's asking visitors to pay permit fees using the honor system. $7 there, and I'll have to open these envelopes to see what's in these. But it looks like people are self-paying in the drop box that we installed. Residents and visitors who fish or boat on Lake Sequoia for years had to purchase daily or season permits, but that could change. Fable Parks and Recreation Advisory Board in early August unanimously voted to recommend the city waive both daily and annual boating and fishing permit fees. The proposal will go before City Council tonight. Jumper walks onto a wooden boat dock next to the boat launch to talk about the park and its future. Yeah, it is sort of a hidden gem out here because it's a little off the beaten path. You have to cross a one-lane bridge to get here, which is also kind of fun. I think a point of arrival for the lake. Lake Sequoia Park generates around $16,000 in annual revenue from the sale of up to 1,800 fishing and boating permits, she says, as well as sport field rental fees. Yeah, so the costs currently for permits for Lake Sequoia, um, there's a variety of options. We have lower cost if you're 65 and older or veterans. So for an annual uh, permit, that's $40. Um, otherwise, if you're 16 to 64, it's a $50 annual permit for boating and fishing. Um, we also have daily permits for boating and fishing. That's $5. That's for motorboats, not motorized canoes, kayaks, paddle boats. And sailboat permits are $3 per day. After a longtime marina and concession operator Mike McBride, in charge of permit issues, retired, City Park staff began to take stock. And it sort of gave us an opportunity to reevaluate how we're, you know, operating the lake. And so we started thinking about that and, and wondered, well, I wonder if we could operate Lake Sequoia and open it up to more folks who may not um, have the means to pay for fishing and boating. And so um, this would remove that one barrier for people and really provide uh, access to more folks to fishing and, and boating here. Lake Sequoia is located seven miles southeast of Fayetteville's town center. Surrounded by low mountains, the park's a favorite for local fishermen, birders, hikers, kayakers, horseback riders, and for sporting events. Swimming, however, is prohibited. So uh, Lake Sequoia, the property is about 1,400 acres, and the water itself is about 390 acres of, of surface water. The city of Fayetteville purchased and developed the property in 1958 to source as a municipal water supply. A decade later, the parcel was turned into a public park after the city tapped into Beaver Lake Water District. And over the decades, the park has become a really peaceful wildlife preserve. On our, on our walk over, we just saw a big snapping turtle living in the lake. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the typical wildlife and aquatic life that you would see, turtles and snakes and fish, talking with the um, Arkansas Game and Fish, we actually have a really great catfish population here. The lake is also home to largemouth and black bass, bluegill, crappie, red ear, and carp. The reservoir is a no-wake lake, meaning powerboats can only cruise at very low speeds. A flock of Canadian geese flap in formation past the blue heron rickery along the lakeshore. Keening hawks hunt for field and forest prey. And migratory white swan have been known to pass through here. A lot of the critters that you might see in other wooded areas, deer, fox, armadillos, um, lots of birds. So it's a, it's a pretty good rabbits. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we saw, we're, well, we're looking at what I think are some buzzards now flying over something there. 
a kettle of red vultures circle high in the sky in the distance while a red-headed Muscovy duck observes us from the shoreline. Black bear occasionally amble through the park. Jumper says the lake's water quality is good, although decades of sedimentation from agricultural field and urban construction runoff is causing shallow conditions in sections of the lake. Inputs from the river and sedimentation, so that is one thing um, that we try to keep an eye on for the lake filling in, but we don't have major concerns right now about it affecting the aquatic life here. The Lake Sequoia Sediment Removal Project, implemented by the city five years ago, dredged heavy silt from the lake bottom into dewatering basins. That project is currently idle. Myriad streams and creeks confluence into Lake Sequoia, Jumper says. Yeah, so we're on the north end of Lake Sequoia where the water flows over the dam. Um, and there's a really nice sort of natural rock feature here that the water flows through. It's really great to look at. Um, and then the water continues on north and eventually into Beaver Lake, our water source. A system of hiking trails have been installed on the park. Kingfisher Trail extends from the boat dock parking lot two miles north along the east bank of the lake, revealing panoramic views. To the south is the Rookery Trailhead, which features an interpretive kiosk and hugs the shoreline for several miles. A dedicated west side equestrian trail is operated by a local horseback riding vendor. We don't have a park ranger that is dedicated to Lake Sequoia. We have, you know, many park staff who come out, check in on things. They do the maintenance out here. We also work with the Game and Fish, and their game wardens come out here and check in on things uh, as well. And so we just stay in communication with them and coordinate. Lake Sequoia, Lake Fayetteville, just north of the Mall Shopping District, and Lake Wilson, which lies due south, are open to the public every day from sunrise to sunset. Details can be found on the city's web. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. We will report back on the Fayetteville City Council's decision whether to waive all fishing and boating permits for Lake Sequoia on a later edition of Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973 with backcountry and urban footwear, clothing, equipment, and more. PackRat is dedicated to conservation and waste reduction. PackRatOC.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. This is Ozarks at Large. With me inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Lee Wood, KUAF's General Manager. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How was your Labor Day weekend? It was so wonderful. Yeah? Yeah. I was. I did the opposite of labor. I was very lazy, and it was great. Well, fantastic. Yes. Um... Have you heard of this thing called autumn anxiety? No. Well, it's for people who are nostalgic as summer ends. Yes. Well, I understand that feeling. I do. But I think we might have different views of summer, yes. you and I. Yes. So I am always kind of ready to see summer go mm. by the time. Actually, by the time it's gone, I've been ready to see it go for like two months. Okay. But I can understand that you don't want it to no, see it go. No, and nights, it gets darker earlier, and there are school buses and all these things. They're, yes. <laughs> I mean... But college pl- football, right? Okay. This is true. There's some pluses. All right. I didn't come in here just to ask you your opinion <laughs> on seasons. We are actually going to make someone have the opposite of autumn anxiety because we're going to make them happy. I, yes, we hope to. Um, so every month, right, we... Um, we do a search of our entire database of, of our donors and uh, supporters and randomly choose one person to just say thank you for your support, uh, send movie passes, gift certificates. If it's, if, if it's the summer, we send baseball tickets. Right. Um, and so, yes, this month's winner is Jeannie Breeze in Bella Vista. Jeannie Breeze in Bella Vista. So her prize package will... We're going to send you some uh, restaurant gift cards, some movie passes, some other goodies we have at the station. Um, And just as a general, thank you for being a KUAF donor. And this month... Later this month, we'll have our fall on-air fundraiser. Yes. In fact, okay, so all month long is a fundraising month, and we are uh, counting all gifts that come in during the month of September toward our overall goal of $150,000, and we'll do the on-air portion the last uh, full week of 
the month. Supportkuaf.com. Is a place that you can give, absolutely. We're still we're taking challenge pledges as well. If, if anybody's been listening to KUAF for a little while, they'll recognize that um, we ask some of our longtime and loyal supporters to not just give a contribution, but actually sort of put up their contribution as a match for new donors or people who haven't given in a while to entice them to give. And we're still taking challenge pledges. If you're interested, you can uh, do one online at uh, KUAF.com slash issue dash challenge. I love it. Yes. Lee Wood, our general manager, KUAF. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Arkansas took in around 23,000 German and Italian prisoners of war during World War II, and one of the branch POW camps was established at Lake Catherine State Park. Dubbed Camp Hot Springs, the site was opened on March 15, 1945, and would hold as many as 213 POWs. The prisoners would work at hotels designated as rest and relaxation sites for returning American soldiers, as well as at area restaurants, maintaining longs in Hot Springs National Park, serving at the Army and Navy Hospital, and maintaining roads in Hot Spring County. Other German POWs were assigned under contract to work at the Acme Brick Factory at Malvern, 15 miles from the camp, while others were loaned out to local farmers suffering from wartime manpower shortages. One former POW later said no one tried to escape, saying, We were not crazy. Camp Hot Springs closed in the summer of 1946 when the last of the German prisoners were sent home. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. Changing the world, even one small task at a time, can be a sizable challenge. The latest episode of the podcast, Points of Departure, spends some time thinking about affecting change. The podcast, a collaboration between Arkansas changemakers and KUAF, focuses on how local solutions can help solve global challenges. The first several episodes have explained the structure of the Arkansas Global Changemakers Initiative, courses, international exchanges, and study abroad programs, as well as issues like food insecurity and public health. Co-host Lawrence Hare, Associate Professor of History at the University of Arkansas, and Rogelio Garcia Contreras, a teaching assistant faculty at the Strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Venture Innovation Center at the U of A, explore one underlying question. What is the best way to teach and educate the next generation of changemakers? In this excerpt from the latest episode, they ask some of the students at the university about their thoughts regarding global change. Rogelio, hello. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, Lawrence. Uh, Hi. Uh, Lee. Lee. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm happy that we have a full group here today. Uh, indeed. So uh, it is my pleasure, actually, to introduce our students that are with us. Uh, we have Sol Halle. Sol is a native of Argentina, a senior honors double major in international and global studies and political science. She has held competitive internships with the U.S. Department of State and is uh, completing honors research on international democracy. Welcome, Sol. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, we also have uh, Juliana Kandner. Uh, Juliana is a junior honors double major in international and global studies and political science. She is uh, active with the campus students for refugees organizations, and she is currently a finalist for the Truman Scholarship. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for having me, too. Uh, we also have with us Caleb Elkington-Stoss. Uh, Caleb is a junior international business and accounting major. He is passionate about social entrepreneurship and is currently involved with several entrepreneurial projects while also serving as a community service director and vice president of the Walton Honor Student Executive Board. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you for having me. And finally, we have Anders Hare. Anders is a 10th grader at Hall Academy in Fayetteville, and he is the founder and first president of the Hall High School chapter of Arkansas Global Changemakers. Welcome, Anders. Hey, I'm glad to be here, too. Well, hello, everybody. It's so great to see all of you and to have a chance to talk to you about your experiences. Let's start with the undergraduate experience. So let's start with Saul and Juliana. Can you tell us just a little bit about your involvement with the Changemakers program and the things that you've done with the program so far? Okay, so I started my involvement when I was a freshman with the social innovation class. And then my sophomore year, I took the global social change class. Um, and following that, I've taken some of the things that I learned in our 
virtual study abroad experience <laughs> um, to my local university and applied those lessons of social innovation uh, in activities like students with refugees and an advocacy training program. Yeah, that's great. We yeah. definitely want to talk about that. Sol, what about you? Um, so I got involved with the Changemakers program through the Honor Signature Seminar that Juliana was talking about, the Global Social Change Seminar, in the spring of 2021. And the class really exposed me to the theoretical tools that we were going to be utilizing when we actually went abroad. Um, unfortunately, we didn't really get to go to Catalonia, but we still did the virtual experience, which was still a very enriching um, experience. And for me, I kind of brought back tools, brought back. It was virtual. I don't know if I can really say that. but I virtually brought back. I virtually brought back tools to better measure the social impact of nonprofit and for-profit organizations in Arkansas because the experience really exposes to the fact that it's imperative for people that want to enact change to understand the way that culture interacts with resource availability, efficiency, solvency, and all of those assessments that one needs to make in order to generate positive impact in the community. I've been teaching both of you for years, and of course I'm blown away by all of your achievements and your your academic excellence, uh, uh, truly, and you're you're both international and global studies majors. I, I know a lot about you in that program. I don't know about you before, and so I'm wondering about your interest in, in global change, and you guys have really big horizons. I mean, how, how did you get to that point? Where did you bring that in with you? Did you want? Did you come into the university saying, "I'm going to change the world"? Or how, how does that happen? Honestly, that's funny you asked that question because I would say I didn't really know where I like belonged in that space, or I could where I could make a big difference until I took the social innovation class my freshman year, and. Your that class allowed me to connect with Canopy Northwest Arkansas. The refugee service. Yeah, the right. Refugee Resettlement Agency. So during that year, I'd kind of been working with students with refugees a little bit, but I hadn't had direct experience with Canopy yet. So that class led me to interning with Canopy, and that's where I got to have direct experience on what it looks like to help in the background of a nonprofit serving international communities. So sometimes I was doing like the heavy lifting, like... Uh, preparing homes for people before they even got here. But then I also did get to meet families directly and see how much Canopy impacted them. And that's led to a long commitment to wanting to get better at advocating for refugee resettlement in Arkansas and just in the United States, correcting false narratives and things like that. So yeah, I would say this program actually led to me finding where I can directly contribute to global change in this community. So for me, I think that in a way, everyone comes into this field expecting to change the world. For me, the global component um, has kind of always been a part of my identity. I lived in various different cultural environments like Argentina, Chile, and South Africa. And those experiences have really underscored the importance of intercultural connections and exposure to the global theater. So from the get-go, I knew that going to college, I wanted to have that global component underscoring my education. And I think that's kind of what led me into the international studies program. And I actually remember, Dr. Hare, it was in our intro to international studies class that you mentioned the Global Changemaker program and when it was in its initial stages. And I remember you right. mentioning that it might be something that I could do in the near future. And then I took the Global Social Change Seminar. And that kind of, again, reaffirmed the importance of intercultural exchanges and how those kind of frame the way that I want to interact with the world and I want to learn about the world. So, And what about you, Caleb? You are part of the Walton College of Business. What brought you uh, to this uh, field, social enterprise, social innovation? Ultimately, I think I always really had a an interest in social innovation um, and global studies for that matter. I really started out in high school with some programs like Model United Nations, Model Arab League, and those really got me in touch with just kind of a more international mindset. You know, the Walton College is kind of interesting. There's not a lot of people that kind of follow the social innovation route, but ultimately it's what I chose to do because it, it feels right, and I've done so much work in social innovation, and my goal is to be an entrepreneur and I think the best way to do that is in a socially innovative way. Thank you. And I act, actually, you, you, you touched on something that helps us 
uh, build uh, the rationale behind our high school uh, initiatives. Mm -hmm. And we have Anders here who has been involved with uh, Arkansas Global Changemakers and the chapter at the uh, Haskell Academy in Fayetteville. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your experience with uh, Arkansas Global Changemakers and the work that you're doing there? Yes. Um, I started Arkansas Global Changemakers as the president and as its initial founder. Um, and we have a really large community now of people that are really interested in it initially. And so a lot of what we're doing is studying these global changes and studying global issues, um, specifically following the model of the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Another thing that we've done is try to apply these issues to studying it at a local level as well, to study about how it affects us in our communities and how even though as a high school charter, we're not gonna be able to change the world with by planting trees, but we can study these issues and try to see if we can train change makers to go out and change the world. Juliana and Saul, you, we wanted desperately to take you out there into the world with, with your class to Barcelona, and unfortunately that didn't happen. In fact, well, this was all COVID-related, right? In fact, while we were running the signature seminar, Saul was taking the class from South Africa, mm -hmm. and I kept wondering, why Why is it so sunny where, where she is? She's like, it's a totally different time of day. <laughs> but then we, had to t then we had to do the Barcelona experience completely virtually from, from our living rooms, from our home offices or whatever it was. What was that like? I had a really positive experience being able to interact with organizations in Barcelona directly and have that time to just sit down and have a conversation, maybe not being distracted about logistics. Mm -hmm. Of course, I wish I was able to see firsthand what they do um, and what's going on and also appreciate the culture of the area. But it was super helpful to have that time to go into deep conversations with people who were leading socially innovative businesses and even like talking to some of those businesses and their model for how how they work really influenced me and ideas I have for organizations and RSOs back at University of Arkansas. Yeah, can you give me an example? Yeah, of course. So uh, the Global Social Change Program, we got to meet with Life Terra, mm -hmm. which was was that a nonprofit or a business? No, it's a business. It's a, social a business, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so their model, I know they talked about training different people in different areas about like running their own like branch of the organization, kind of like teaching different communities how to start planting the trees. And that break off method of equipping leaders within the organization was something I found found really interesting and effective. So Life Terror, that's an organization that goes around Europe planting Plant trees, trees. And yeah. and the the angle is is that they they personalize each tree for a participant. They have a GPS location. Yeah, they tree. have a tracking method. But the the part of it that I th found really effective was the fact that they like train leaders in different parts of Europe. So they have one organization, yeah. but and everyone's united under one mission. But they can be from you know anywhere. So that model was really awesome and kind of inspired me looking at refugee resettlement here in Northwest Arkansas. It's already kind of uh, like interesting a little bit different that Arkansas has a refugee resettlement agency like you'll say that and people will be surprised um, and we also know that a lot of people can have like misconceptions about refugee resettlement so I was thinking critically about that and our work at, as students with refugees you know we aim to advocate for refugees to help the people that are out in our community and the organization in our community but I was thinking how could we expand the impact of that organization and the students on campus and looking at the life terror model I was like well, it'd be great if we can really equip students to feel like, you know, they can advocate for pro-refugee policy on their own and they feel like they can correct false narratives, that they uh, can advocate for even like policies in our government that would actually result in sustainable change. Um, and so through that kind of process of thinking, we started our first ever advocacy training program in Students with Refugees, which is actually happening right now. You can hear the latest episode of the podcast, Points of Departure, by navigating to the local podcast page at KUAF.com or by going to your preferred podcast distributor. Tomorrow, we'll highlight the brand new episode of Undisciplined, a podcast that's a partnership between the University of Arkansas's Department of African and African American Studies, KUAF and Ozarks at Large. We'll hear from Washington County Judge Joseph Wood. Being the first black county judge in Arkansas's history, just mind-blowing. I had no clue, no idea, because when I won, I went straight to work. 
A new Undisciplined episode releases tomorrow. We'll share an excerpt on Ozarks at Large tomorrow. Just ahead, we reach back a few months for an archive conversation with our Milton Grammarian. This is Ozarks Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherolds. Welcome back, Catherine. Hey, Kyle. Uh, did you know that I was once the mayor of LaRue, Arkansas? I didn't even know LaRue, Arkansas was incorporated. <laughs> it's not. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> the way to become mayor of this small, unincorporated Beaver Lake community was to pre- prevail in an informal Scrabble tournament held there whenever there were enough people to play. I can tell you this. I will never be the mayor of LaRue, Arkansas. (laughs) Well, I beat several good players one afternoon and served my mayoral term probably until the next weekend. But (laughs) do you you don't play then? Uh, I have played in the past. Mm -hmm. Here's my problem with Scrabble. Um, I just don't have the patience for the strategy, the triple letter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just think if I use five letters, that should be worth much more than someone who uses four letters. Right. And what we're going to talk about today is two letters. Yeah, see, I, yeah. okay. <laughs> and, that, and that is the mark of um, a, a winning Scrabble player. And, and I'm not saying that I just, I'm just not good at it. It's not, it's, and it's not really about words. Right. It's about strategy. Strategy yeah, yeah. and keeping the right letter for mm-hmm, the right space. Mm-hmm. I understand. And before I start talking about the two letters words, I have to also say that I was once the Scrabble champion at the University of Mississippi. <laughs> Which wow. was one tournament, you know. Oh, but still. <laughs> okay, well, you may know that Scrabble skill does not rely so much on good vocabulary as it does knowing how to use high-counting tiles, as we said. In the right places. Mm-hmm, like X, Z, and Q. Right. And the best use of those letters is in one of the 107 two-letter words listed in the official Scrabble dictionary. I would have thought it was far fewer than that. Mm-hmm. Often you can drop the high counter on a double or triple space and have it count in two words in one move, uh, really racking up points. Okay. Fortunately, the regular rules of Scrabble do not require that one know the definition. <laughs> oh. Some people play it that sure. way. Sure. But I, I won't play with them because I don't I don't care about the definition. Right. That's not it's not a word not a vocabulary game if and if you're unsure that your opponent has played a word that is or isn't legit you do the challenge thing yeah and most of the time when uh, i played with friends and i played years and years and years um we played without losing uh you right, know right. a turn for that but i have played with the strict rule which requires you to yeah. lose the rule uh, so let's look at 12 of the highest-scoring two-letter words in the game uh, okay. of Scrabble provided by WordGenius.com and see if you know their meanings. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. Okay, Okay. so you're not just feeling like spending time in the kitchen tonight, so you and Laura decide to order some food to be delivered. Mm-hmm. What is a two-letter word for what you might order? Two-letter word for food that would be delivered, like, uh, foe has three letters. It's the most commonly delivered food. So we're not talking V8, which isn't even a two-letter <laughs> word. <laughs> no, two letters. <laughs> I want to say za, but that's not a that's word. It. It that's it. That's a word? Now, let me say. Okay. We are dealing with the official Scrabble gotcha. dictionary, okay. and there are words that aren't words. So za counts. <laughs> yes. I once won... Uh, <laughs> my friend, um, we played, I was supposed to be packing to move to Mississippi and we played Scrabble 11 hours straight on the day I was supposed to be packing. But, <laughs> but anyway, one of the words that I played, it came down to the last word and he was a little bit ahead and all I had left was a D as in dog. Mm-hmm. And he had played turtle and I thought, well... We must try it. So I put a D on tur- turtle. Turtle is, is a, a word, word yeah. yes. For it obviously means to go and gig little animals. Yes. Okay. All right. It's a fairly us- recent usage, but older than I thought. Uh, what's your first guess about when za was first used? Well, my older brother was in college in the seventies, and I think I picked it up from him. So well, sometime, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh huh. Merriam-Webster says in the seventies. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, Kyle, most Scrabble players believe that if they draw the Q and never have a U available, they're sunk. Oh. Uh, but that's not right. There's a QI. Yeah, there you go. QI is... I have no idea what it, it is. It is the one. It's defined as... <laughs> I can't believe you don't know this. <laughs> the vital force that in Chinese thought is inherent in all things. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's also spelled K-I. Okay. But that's only worth six points okay. <laughs> versus 11 well, with the Q. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's a high counter you'll know for sure, Kyle. What's a good implement to have when you're trying to build a campfire? You want an axe. Yeah, that's right. It's also a good nine points for a Scrabble player. And thank you for not doing the Lizzie Borden. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. I didn't think of that. That would have been good. Um, Kyle, the two-letter X words are among the best known. Uh-huh. For instance, what's the two-letter Greek letter with an X? Uh, not zoo. No. Ki- no. Oh. What is it? X-I. X-I, okay. I think oh. it's pronounced Zai. I'm okay. not sure. yeah. Sorry, fraternity friends from college. I didn't know. I didn't remember. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't know of any fraternity oh, or not. anything that has an X okay. on. Maybe they do. Um, what? Who is? A, what do you call a spouse that's no longer a spouse? An X. Right. It also means to cross out. Oh, sure, mm-hmm. sure. And the last well-known two-letter X word is one that Paul Bunyan called "babe." An ox. Ox. That's right. Um, not so well known is a Vietnamese monetary unit. That is also a good letter, good two-letter word. And X-U? You, X-U, it is. It's equal to one-hundredth of a dong, to be exact. There you go. <laughs> Some other high-scoring tiles are useful in two-letter words. For instance, the Y scores four. Okay. Uh, what's the possessive noun that can match with a Y for a three-point, for, with a three-pointer for a total of seven? Possessive noun. Pronoun. I'm sorry. Possessive pronoun. My? Yeah. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And another two-letter Y word is a preposition. By. Yes. It's also defined as a pass in certain games. Words from other languages are often accepted by the Scrabble Dictionary. uh, Kyle, do you know what Joe means? J-O? I do not. It's a Scottish term for a sweetheart or darling. Oh. It comes from the 1520s. It's probably linked to the word joy. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Finally, Kyle, a couple of words that reek with spirituality. Do you happen to know the two-letter word that means the spiritual self of a human being in the Egyptian religion? Not Ra. All no. Right. no that, that was a god. Ka. Ka. K. Also... I don't know if I've ever heard reeks with spirituality <laughs> as a phrase before. That's I like because that. Yeah. <laughs> you've not been in my presence <laughs> when it came up. Yes. And it's related to another Egyptian word, this one from mythology. Any idea? Ra? Nope. Okay. <laughs> We're keep going. I don't think Ra is, a scra- is accepted okay. as Scrabble. I, it's been a while since I played, but uh, Ba. B-A? B-A. Hmm. It is the name of the eternal soul. So Scrabble players should know these words. For one thing, at least logically, they make the game go a lot slower. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Sherald is our militant grammarian. That session with the militant grammarian first aired on Ozarks at Large in early April of this year. Today's edition of Ozarks at Large was produced inside the Herald and Blanche Cock News Studio by Timothy Dennis. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, and Catherine Sherlds. Our thanks to Mark Chris and Lee Wood for their help today. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Kyle Kelms. We are back tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. You can always uh, listen to an episode that you might have missed on the radio by accessing our free podcast. You can also ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large and hear the most recent edition of our program. And you can go to either KUAF.com or OzarksAtLarge.com and find past editions or separate solo uh, interviews and stories. All there for you for free. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a good one.